Gale's open, they're away in the Golden Slipper, there's a great start, and Mick Mitt Basque on the extreme outside is about the first out, Jeff Boyle. Jagler on the outside, lunging, but Catlin opening just in front, Jagler trying desperately, can't reach him. Catlin opening has lasted to win the Doncaster by a hit to Jagler. This Iron podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Inglis. Trainers strive to have horses spot on for race day. Fuel cells up, the right mental state, the right fitness levels. Equally important is the horse's capacity to recover quickly from racing and track work. The aim is to give owners every opportunity to win optimum prize money by keeping a horse in training for as long as possible. High Gain Recuperate is a powerful blend of electrolytes, B-group vitamins and vitamin E in paste form which can be administered after fast work and in the days leading up to a race to assist recovery. 30ml of Recuperate drawn from the 500ml bulk pack is the economical alternative to individual electrolyte and vitamin paste syringes. High Gain Recuperate powers performance and recovery. Visit the High Gain website and use promo code johntap.racing to receive 15% off your next Recuperate purchase. Brett Bellamy spent his early years in the Hawkesbury Valley, but at age 17 moved to Coffs Harbour with his parents and siblings. His late father, Kevin Bellamy, had run a successful horse transport business from his Richmond base and later became the owner of the old Aerodrome Hotel, a stone's throw from the Hawkesbury Racecourse. Young Brett was rubbing shoulders with the Hawkesbury racing crowd from an early age and he often travelled to race meetings when his dad transported horses for local trainers. When the Bellamys moved to Coffs Harbour, Kevin took out a trainer's licence and young Brett became his right-hand man. In fact, Brett still claims most of the credit for winners like Bold Expense and Classical Jazz in the early 1980s. Not surprisingly, the bug bit, and young Bellamy decided to spread his wings and learn more about thoroughbreds. He had a two-year stint at Randwick with astute trainer Mal Barnes and another two years working for Colin Hayes at his showplace Lindsay Park training and breeding operation at Angerston. Brett obtained stabling on the Coffs Harbour Racecourse in 1986 and launched a training career which has taken him to two New South Wales country training titles and six Northern Rivers premierships. Available records from the 1999-2000 season credit him with 736.5 winners in New South Wales alone, and he'd been training for 13 years before that, and you can also throw in a large number of Queensland wins. When you think of Northern Rivers racing, you think of Brett Bellamy, who's been one of its most notable achievers for more than three decades, and I'm delighted to welcome him to the podcast on a Sunday morning. Good on you, Brett. I bet it's lovely in Coffs Harbour. Certainly the sun's shining and not a cloud in the sky. You know, mate, first up, I've got to tell you that your dad was one of my favourite racing people back in the 1970s, and I sometimes popped in for a beer at the Aerodrome Hotel after Hawkesbury meetings. If ever a bloke was cut out to be a mine host, it was Kevin Bellamy. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, Many people have told me that over the years, that... uh, 
if anything needed to be done or um, you know people to be looked after or if you could get anything to happen even even the local constabulary the licensing police always looked after dad because mm. I think he, he always run a tight ship there and uh, he had plenty of um, celebrities roll in as yourself and rabbits and uh, obviously <laughs> Tommy Radonicus being in in the Air Force they brought plenty to the pub I'll say. Well, your mum, Margaret's in good health. I'm delighted to hear as she approaches her 80th birthday. And wild horses, Brett, wouldn't drag your mum out of Coffs Harbour. Definitely not. Uh, She's got the family pretty well still around her. Like I only live a couple of minutes from Hearst, but uh, she's got plenty of grandkids and great-grandkids to keep her company. She's a very happy mum. Very, very, very happy. Uh, As I said, she lives just around the corner, so... If she needs any help with anything, it's only a phone call away. Hard to believe you've been training in your own right for 35 years and you've never wanted to leave the North Coast. You've got great facilities at the Coffs Harbour track and you've got the use of Boambi Beach if you want to give a horse a change of scenery. Definitely, that's the case. I think, you know, I think people either love it here or hate it. Um, I'm I'm the the lover. Um, mm. I always said they'd take me away in a pine box. I, I <laughs> never want to lived anywhere else. Um, and as you said, the facilities here are second to none. Like you've got Boambi Beach, which is three and a half mile long. Um, you've got the racetrack. We've got access to the grass whenever you need it. Um, you've got swimming pools. You've got and you're central. Like you, nowadays, you're four hours from Brisbane, you know, track to track. Um, and it's not probably about six hours to Sydney. You've still got, you know, it's just a central area um, around. You can travel west out to Armidale, Tamworth, and I said, and you've got all your areas sort of down south Kempsey, Port Macquarie, Tari. Newcastle is only four hours or just over four hours now. Yeah. And it's all just dual carriageway. You hop on the once you've got on the freeway, it's just a straight drive to wherever you're going now, and it just makes life that much easier. You started Coffs Harbour Cup Day with a bang by winning the first two races with Bon Cassie, a three year old filly, and Labanna, who's a seven year old mare. Ah, uh, yes, well, Bon Cassie, she's she's a full sister to a horse I've had a bit of success with in Northern Night, and mm. unfortunate. Um, Neville Foley, who's a uh, a big supporter of my stable, along with the breeder of her, which is Craig Hardy, and uh, Craig breeds them, and uh, well, Neville's a, a relation of Craig, so it's good to have the support of both. And uh, Neville was looking for a, a nice young horse, and they they knew how well Northern Knight went, so the opportunity became to buy Bon Cassie off Craig, and. Mm. Um, so, yes, so Neville's, Neville's bought her and Craig still gets just as much thrill out of Bon Cassie winning as Neville does in, in having a win as well. And you think she'll be winning again too, don't you? Yes, I've got a very high opinion of her. And the second of the two, Labana. Um, Labana has come from oh, a long-time client of mine, Ross White, um, mm. and his family race her. They bought her from a, a lady that... Um, he become in contact with that bred a few supreme classes and mm. we bought a couple off her before and um, she made mention to Ross that uh, she was wanting to sell her. So Ross bought her. I know she's a seven-year-old mare but very lightly raced and she'd done a good job prior to that. She'd only had the two runs for two placings, the first first preparation, and then mm. 
a first up run was in an unsuitable thousand metre race, and uh, Raymond and myself hatched the plan that we'd we'd send her around in that. She was we thought if she was had the brakes she could win that one, but if she didn't, there was a nice race on Cup Day yeah. that she would be suited to, and and uh, was the, and the latter was mm. was very very nice when when the old plan comes together. Oh, isn't it even better? Now the racehorse population in the bush is at record levels and that's a result of increased prize money and innovations like the Tab Highways. Now, you've got 40 horses in work, Brett. That's a pretty strong country stable. It is. And, um, you know, it's oh, sort of got to pay tribute to all the, the local businessmen that support the local trainers and sort of it's really, really good and they're, they're all sort of work together as a rule to, you know, make make racing strong in Coffs Harbour. Like our, our whole committee, they're all happy to support and most of them are, are involved in racehorses. So, you know, they all want to get behind racing as well. So they, they support it. So they know where we're coming from and know, know how hard it is to sort of make a dollar in the bush because obviously we're still with the highways being better than they've ever been. We've sort of got a lot of raiders either coming from over the border in Queensland or mm. down around our provincial area, the Chris Lees, the Paul Perrys. Um, they always sort of seem to venture up here and uh, they quite often knock us off. But uh, yeah. in the old story, hometown advantage does, does bloody help us out. Oh, sure does. You've had a long connection with the famous Lindhurst Stud at Warwick on the Darling Downs, established by the Kruger family way back in 1956 and still operated as a commercial stud by Jeff and Griff Kruger. Now, many times over the years, Brett, you've been enlisted by the Krugers to try to win a race or two in the country with fillies and mares that are not quite measuring up to Brisbane Company. Yeah, definitely, and that's it's been oh, quite fruitful uh, for, for both parties. Like, um, Like there's a horse that, uh, Kelly Sweeter trains Oink, um, mm. that uh, we we bred the mare called. Oh, she we bought a mare called Kuchi Kasifa, and she come mm. off uh, from the Tony McAvoy. Uh, mm. We bought her off off Tony, and uh, and she's been there, and she she didn't quite win a race. I think um, Danny Nicolik ran a placing on here on on a Cup day many years ago, but she's been very 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 fruitful for the Kruger family. I think she, she's been. Um, Oink was by Sebring, and there's a few siblings were by Sebring, but they've mm. they've been very successful. We've had a lot of a lot of those kind of mares that have um, done a really good job and won a race, and then gone on to uh, the Kruger family to breed. To obviously they buy shares in in the in the stallions, not only their own, but they've mm. had shares in Sebring and um, other other stallions. So they've just breed some, but obviously the good pedigrees and uh, Griff and Jeff have both got a good eye for the pedigrees, and they like to. You know, buy and hopefully get the mare to produce or the filly to to do something on the track, so that makes it more appealing to the buyers on on the sale page. Let's go back to that two year stint you had with the late Mal Barnes at Randwick. Mal was an old world trainer who could get a horse ready with painstaking care and attention to detail. I think astute is the best word for him. Definitely. Definitely, and I learnt oh, a huge amount down there, and just the way <clears throat> way things went, and how how you would program, and you know, Rome wasn't built in a day, and you had to be patient. And I think that's one of the things that I did learn 
off Mel better than anyone else that mm. you had to be patient, um, cross the T's, dot the I's, and everything had to be in your favour if you were going to bet. You had, had mm. to have the right, right day, the right track conditions, the right jockey, the right barrier draw. Yeah. So he always liked a lot of things in his favour. Mm. And obviously um, – he had a lot of lot of good help behind him, a lot of good jockeys, mm. um, and even his son Barry. You know, he was he was invaluable to my knowledge when I first went down there. Was he? Mal had a couple of pretty good apprentices in his care at the time, didn't he? Um, one of them has gone on to become a familiar and very popular figure on racing media. Definitely, Ronnie. Ronnie was there. The Duff. The Duff. The Duff used to wander in and, um, you know, and he was always, you know, he's very good on his tipstering. So he sort of helped the boys out quite regular with uh, what he thought he'd win and Mm -hmm. what would win. And um, Stephen Jeffries, I think he was an underrated jockey, but he always got the job done, I think. Ronnie Quinton always held held Stevie in very high regard, and mm. um, we always knew that uh, Ron helped Stevie out if he if he you know needed to know something, uh, which to Ron to this day he still helps you know, a very good friend of mine in Andy Atkins. Mm. Um, he's done a sensational job with him. So um, you know he, we've had a lot of help down there, and uh, as I said, Stevie was you know a very good patient rider and. You know, I really liked the way Steve went, and yeah. that's always a big start. And we had a, you know, a very average jockey that used to blow in, blow in, and uh, put his two cents worth in. And Mr. Peter Cook, um, <laughs> yes. yeah. he, he yeah. was always, you know, he always used to blow in on occasions. And um, mm. yeah, no, he was always good to talk to. The racing world was deeply saddened when Stephen Jeffries died prematurely a few years ago. Yes, now it was sort of it was a shock to the system. Um, we all only it was only I think it was only a a mistake or just through he had a had a fall as far as I know I didn't hear the finer details but apparently he'd had a fall and um, that wasn't healing properly so he went to the doctor to find out you know, what was actually going on and then got the news that well listen you're not good and you've got more problems than this so mm-hmm. um, get your get your affairs in order because we don't think you have very long to this world which turned out to be the case. Absolutely. Uh, yes. And nobody took it harder than Ron Duffersey at the time. Yeah, well, they were like brothers. Great you know, mates, with, weren't they? Uh, yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, definitely like brothers, um, you know, because there was always a lot of, you know, talk and whatnot between the two. Like um, like we had indoor cricket and all sorts of stuff that uh, the whole stable boys and the, the mm. old touch football, you know, yeah, competitions out in the back of the stables of an afternoon and mm. all that sort of stuff between all the stable boys, and they were always fun. Your desire to learn more about the thoroughbred took you to South Australia where you landed a job with the breeding arm of Colin Hayes' unique Lindsay Park operation at Angerston. You got to work with many stallions, broodmares, foals, weanlings, yearlings, you name it. Did you see much of Colin around the stud? Uh, he was always there, um, and more so breakfast time. Like he, he did did bring a lot of clients around, and generally, if he did bring them around, there was chaos. Mm. There, if you could bet your bottom dollar, if there was anything going to go wrong in the serving barn, yeah, it'd be when Colin arrived with with his influential Japanese clients or someone that was <laughs> you know, above above everything. You could bet your bottom dollar that'd be something go wrong. So, yeah. but, um, he was always there and. 
breakfast time, he'd come in to, you know, breakfast time and um, how's everybody going, you know, any, any things that I need to know or all of the above. And I think his biggest, where we saw the most of him, was when breakers were being broken in. And their last last day before they went to the paddock was, mm. you know, jump them out and see how they went. And he was always there you know, grooming those with the fine-tooth comb. That one is one of my early ones. That one can go over that paddock. This mm. one's this. That one I don't want to see anywhere, mm. you know, apart from in the rubber rooms there. So we've yeah. got to look after that one. Um, he always used to run a very keen eye over all those babies that were going through the barriers. He very he knew every one of them. Yeah, oh yeah. And, uh, he made special notes of what was going to be his early goers and what was going to be his later ones. So he always took very care in those early days to see what was going on mm. around those youngsters. Well, you know the old saying, mate, the eye of the master can do more work than both of his hands. Definitely, definitely. Of all the stallions you got to work with there at Lindsay Park, the one that left a, quite an impression on you was a horse called Without Fear, who fairly exploded onto the scene with his first crop of runners in Australia. Couldn't they gallop the Without Fears? Definitely, definitely. I spent a lot of lot of time with old Without Fear. Um, I only sort of meant to got to know him sort of later in his career and then he'd have a lot of a lot of issues with hocks and feats and what on you really couldn't lunge him much and you couldn't put him on treadmills so um there was a lot of hand walking around around Lindsay Park and we saw plenty of miles around Lindsay Park and wore out a fair few pair of shoes but uh he was always an old gentleman like he'd walk past a paddock full of broodmares and foals and he might give a whinny or whatnot but as a rule he was he was enjoying the walk just as much as you were yeah but he's a lovely old horse and I went back to visit when I when I got well, later in the in life when I got married. I, I went mm. to see him out at their their old farm and went mm. went and had a talk to him. Yeah, he had great affection for Without Fear. I could tell talking to yeah. the other day. Yep. Hey Brett, one night at the Angerston pub, your attention was drawn to the presence of an attractive and very likable young lady called Julie, who worked at the nearby Yalumba Winery. So she became a very valuable connection. Now, you immediately planned your strategy and it must have worked because from that moment on, you and she were inseparable. Yes, it was, but it, it took a bit of work early. I was sort of <laughs> I was sort of one of a couple that were, were putting their, 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 their buddy oh. attributes forward. So mm. I had, had a bit of competition there early, so that um, – you know, as as fate would have it, I, I got to the top of the list and mm. and and still there. So um, <laughs> uh, she was probably my my greatest asset out out of my trip to Lindsay Park and Angerston, uh, my import. And uh, I'm lucky to say we're still happily married with two lovely kids. And absolutely, uh, um, De- Courtney and Declan, and we'll talk about the kids later in our yes, interview. Sure. Now, Brett, back to New South Wales and a short stint on a small stud farm owned by a man called Frank McKinnon. The property was situated at a little place called Durai, near Tamworth. You stayed only one season. Yes, um, you know, I got offered the – I'd been back to Coffs Harbour on holidays and Frank offered me the job there and um, and I thought, well, yes, here's an, here's an opportunity to be closer to home. And, um, and Frank had sort of hatched a plan that – he, he not only did he want to breed horses, but at the time he wanted to 
um, build stables on Tamworth Racecourse and put walker machines on and, and, and train them and race them as well. So I thought it was a, an ideal opportunity to take that into place. It had put, put myself in the driver's seat to, you know, once the time came to train the horses and whatnot, I'd be it'd be up there, number one pick. So, mm. But um, that was sort of too far off and, you know, things sort of didn't quite pan out quite the way I, I'd planned them to. So, mm. um, yeah, so we moved on to the next chapter. Which was a training career. Uh, and you launched that career at Coffs Harbour. You won a number of ordinary races with a number of ordinary horses. But then along came your first really nice horse, Malula Star. He'd won half a dozen for another trainer before you got him, and he won another 11 in your care on the Northern Rivers, although you did snare one at Eagle Farm, and he was placed in a string of country cups. Yeah, no, he was he was one that was uh, a very highly strung you know, fella, but uh, I was unfortunate to get a fella called Barry Sweetnam offered me the horse, and uh, he now lives, lives at Mawoolumbar. Mm. And we had a lot of success. Um, it, was a, it was a very nice day, the, the winner in, at Eagle Farm with Jimmy Byrne on board. But mm. um, as I said to you the other day, when, when you asked me how, how I spelt his name, I didn't realise he'd done as much as he had. Mm. And he was an honest old fella, as did I run into, you know, some very handy horses over those years. And, mm. um, we, or he did, with Aquazoff knocking him off a couple of times. Mm. Um, a Karindai Cup and I think a, a Gunnadar Cup, but mm. he was always, you know, a tough horse and um, you could back him up and basically he handled everything that you threw at him. He was a, mm. a very easy horse to train, but race day he sort of, um, he was still a bit fiery, he didn't like like settling down in the tie-up stall, so basically mm. you had to walk him from the time he, he set foot on a racetrack to yeah. the time he left. Adrenaline. And, uh, yes, adrenaline. Adrenaline, yes, he was full of all of that. Well, when he finished racing, Brett, his record read like an old Harold Park trotter. He'd had 115 starts and he raced till he was 10 or 11 years of age. So I know you've got great memories of Malula Star. One of the smartest mares you've trained was the unusually named Chocolate Starfish, who won six races for you in the early 2000s. She, she never won in town but she gave you a huge thrill in 2002 when she charged home to run second in the Group 2 San Domenico Stakes, which is coming up again shortly, uh, behind a very smart horse called Star of Florida. You got off your seat that day over the last 200 metres. Definitely. I nearly fell out of the grandstand. <laughs> I had, I had um, no intentions of going there, but as the owner, um, Tim Cerizia, he was always... He'd been a merchant banker and he'd basically done everything in his life and he just wanted, you know, to run in, 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 in the major races. Um, I, I had a nice class one picked out at the Gold Coast, but no, Timmy, Timmy to his digs, he, he stood on him and he said, no, well, no, we want to go here. But uh, we met Paddy Duff down there and that was probably one of the, the um, highlights of, of the whole day. And mm, he trained Star of Florida, didn't he? Years, so um, for him beating us down there, we, we yeah. gained a very good close friend out of that. So that mm. was good. And obviously you've known Pat for a lot of years and mm. um, there's no nicer gentleman in racing than Paddy Duff. Or better trainer. You brought that mare to town several times and she ran respectable races in some pretty good company. She had one crack at a Group 1 and it was in the Galaxy 
won by a horse called Snowland. So you have had a Group 1 runner at Royal Randwick. Yes, and uh, as Timmy was always one that wanted to run in the best races. So I suppose uh, our, our adage would be put ourselves in the horse in the weakest company and ourselves in the best company, but Tim worked the other way around. He <laughs> always wanted to run in, in the big races. So, mm. But uh, I didn't. he was the one paying the bills, so um, I had to abide by his rules. I know you rate a horse called Sectagonal very high on your list of favourites. He won two races for John Hawkes early in his career. Then he went to Gary White as a cult, and he didn't win in five or six starts. Gary had him gelded, but then decided to sell. And you got him for $12,500. I think initially you intended to race him yourself. Yeah, I intended to race him myself with my father and another group of of clients of mine, but then um, Tony Barker and a few other boys, um, they said, you know, could would they buy him? And, you know, we had another one off off Teddy McCabe that was there as well um, that we that we kept and raced ourselves, and um, he didn't end up anything like sectagonal, but uh, we had a bit of joy with him. But um, yes, Gary had always said that the horse had a heap of ability and always shown plenty, but hadn't put it together on the racetrack. So he said, you might have anything, and turned out he was right. Um, we had a very, very handy horse, and I think the on- only things that suffered from us having sectagonal was the owner's livers. They, they copped a terrible pasting <laughs> over the, the <laughs> couple of years that he was racing. Yeah. Oh, you had some fun with him. I think he won four at Doombin and four at Eagle Farm. I think probably the most memorable one was his first up win there with Glenn Collis on board. I think mm. we'd had a you know a very, fairly decent slap at him at twenty odd to one in, into about eights or nines, but he got the job done. And so mm. from then on, it was you know he paid his own way. He paid for his purchase price, so mm. it was all fun from there on in. Narcello was a handy horse a few years ago. He won five on the rivers and one at Doombin after coming to you as a maiden from David Hayes in Victoria. Former race caller Steve Hawkins was a part owner in Narcello. Yeah, no, Steve Hawko and um, I think a, an, an ex-steward from, from Brisbane, um, Chaz Clifford and a few other boys of uh, friends of Steve's. Mm. They got together and we raced him and he had a lot of joy. I think um, he won one of Steve's sort of most memorable days was winning a Cranback Cup. Because mm. um, I think that was a of close to his family. I think he was bred somewhere down there or had relatives somewhere down there in that Cranback area. Um, so it was good to win that win that race for, for Steve. Um, it, uh, yeah, we had a lot of joy. The horse had a few issues later on in his training career and um, we're sort of just – his ability was sort of out by, outweighed by his issues. So uh, we didn't quite, you know, go on with the job after he had those problems. But, you know, mm. he was still a very, very nice horse to train. Yep. Brett, we'll just stand by there for a moment while we clear a commitment on the podcast and we'll come back to you after this. The $1.3 million Kosciuszko is the world's richest race for country-trained horses and the field is determined by those who draw winning tickets in the Kosciuszko sweepstakes. $5 tickets are now available through the Tab app or your local TAB outlet. 14 winning ticket holders will be drawn on September the 9th. Holders of those winning tickets will have the opportunity to select the horse they'd like to run in their entry and if successful, will then negotiate the 
the terms of a prize money split with the owners of that horse. A $5 ticket could make it possible for you or your syndicate of friends to share in the ownership of a runner in a race which in just three runnings has achieved a high profile. Grafton-trained Bell Flyer gave his slot holders a big thrill when he won the first Kosciuszko in 2018. In 2019 it was Handle the Truth and last year It's Me from Scone. It's an exciting opportunity for bush horses to take centre stage on one of the biggest race days in the world. It gives punters and racing fans the opportunity to share in the ownership of a horse running in a $1.3 million race. Remember, the 14 winning slot holders will be drawn on September the 9th. Now, Brett, I'm going to ask you to either confirm or refute this story. On the 6th of May 2000, you turned up at Armadale with a horse called Magic Zap for a Class 5 race with a Coffs Harbour apprentice to ride him who had never ridden a winner. Who was the kid? One Zach Purton. Goodness gracious me. But Zach Purton on the day, Brett, looked a little bit out of the ordinary, didn't he? He definitely did. You know, um, we thought he probably should have been riding a skateboard at the local skate park. but um, <laughs> Can you uh, describe his appearance? Oh, uh, his, his appearance, he had a, a pair of probably B- Bermuda shorts on with the big long pockets, the old casual shoes with no laces, mm. just a T-shirt, and uh, that was that was all he had in his bags and everything else. But mm. what about the, the green the green it, hair? What about the green I was hair? Just getting to that. Oh, he sorry, had green sorry. hair. Oh my god! And uh, that was the biggest highlight. And um, Mr. Shane Cullen was on his way into the jock into the stewards' room, and he strolled straight past Zach Purton and must have caught a glimpse of the hair on the way through, and he backed up very very quickly, and he, Zach had got a very big dressing down before he'd even been out on the track. Mm. If you ever come to my one of my race meetings dressed in that attire with that coloured hair, mm. you will not be riding. You will be going straight home without riding at all. Don't ever come before me at one of my meetings mm. in that attire. Good so he, he, got a, he got a huge dressing down before he'd even started. Mm. Tell me, did you predict the heights to which Zach Burton has aspired in recent years. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I, you know, just to see the see the kid in his early days and how he become one with the horse. And he was always zigging when everyone else was zagging. He had, you know, mm. the the greatest insight into a race and been able to read a race. And I think his confidence in his own ability was probably one of the biggest highlights. He he knew he was good and he, he let everyone know it. Mm. And uh, as I said, he, he zigged when everyone else was zagging. He was already off and gone when they were all trying to make another decision on what they should and shouldn't be doing. So mm. Zach was already in the gap that was there or he was always out the other side. Or mm. But, uh, no, he was always um, going to be – be in great demand wherever he went and whatever he did. And um, I think probably the highlight is when I, I took him to a Warwick Cup meeting and um, the people at the Calcutta the night before were quite worried about 
the apprentice that I'd brought. And I did tell him that day that uh, don't worry about the apprentice that I've brought here today. Mm. Um, we'll hear big things of this kid down the track. And um, I was right. So. Oh, I'll tell you, you're right <laughs> with a bang. Now, Brett, uh, Zach, of course, was apprenticed at Coffs to Trevor Hardy, whose daughter Joanne is doing a good job in the training ranks. No, Joey's doing a really good job. Her and her partner Dave, they're 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 here, and um, I think she's a you know, a big supporter of Trevor's. Um, and it was good to see Trevor win our hometown sprint the other day. Um, he still 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 has it, Trevi. He still got it, and I think Joey won a race on the same day. So it was mm. we've had a father and daughter win win races on on Coffs Harbour Cup day. Another Coffs Harbour apprentice who went on to the top level is a bloke you used a lot in the early days, Glenn Collis. Spike Collis, yes, we had a lot of lot of lot of joy um, over a fair few years, and we travelled a fair few miles together um, in the old F one hundred. We sort of hop in and away we'd go, whether it be to the Gold Coast and mm. or down to Musselbrook or somewhere. That um, we used to have a quite deal. Well, but he had a, a good time away, and um, I did did take my wife or I come, went away with Spike one weekend, and I come home that weekend, and Julie said, "Well." I'm going with you next weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Oh, that's not a problem. So, Spike and I and Jules packed our bags the next weekend and away we went. And we've dragged it to all the nightclubs and pubs and everything else <laughs> as um, as we did every other weekend. And um, on the way home, and she's shaking her head. And what? What? Why are you shaking your head? Well, you just did everything you did the weekend before. I said yes. Well, how did you think you were going to stop us? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing had changed, and she said, "Well, I'm not going again." <laughs> so it was back to, back to Spike and myself after that. You fix that problem in one. Fix that problem, yes. <laughs> yeah. You've had several talented apprentices through the operation over the years. Jamie Quinnell is one. He finished up in Sydney. Yes, yeah, Jamie was. I think he outrode his apprentice claim in in under twelve months, and then. Then um, because he was so good and everything else, um, we we organised him to go down to Kevy Moses, mm. who at then was still riding track work, and we thought he'd he'd be able to gain a fair bit of knowledge out of out of Kevy, and mm. um, but unfortunately, sort of weight and uh, Jamie sort of struggled with, so um, mm. you know he's he sort of succumbed to that problem, and uh, but now he. He's sort of, I think he's working in a produce company down at uh, Warhope or somewhere down that area, but mm. um, he was a very, very good rider. Another one of your lads was Matt Chadwick. You tell me he's still riding in Hong Kong. Yes, no, he's still riding in Hong Kong, but I think um, he made very short work of his four kilo claim. We took him to uh, Lismore with with a, a book of rides up there and he he rode four in his first first day there, so um, his his four kilo claim was very short lived. Mm. Another capable apprentice to come through your operation was Glenn Courtney, who eventually was overcome by increasing weight. Yeah, no, definitely. Glenn was, you know, from the famous Courtney family out of Victoria. You know, the Jimmy Courtney, the Barry Courtney, and well, Glenn was the same family. But mm. I said, unfortunately, weight got him. But he was a very, very good apprentice, and I think he went to work for Peter Moody when he was still in Queensland. Mm. Without doubt, the lowest point in your career came with the death of your apprentice Daniel Baker. 
at Grafton about 14 years ago. He was brought down by another horse in the straight riding one of your team, Hotshot Hale. Daniel sustained terrible head injuries and he died in hospital on the Gold Coast two days later. And, Brett, it impacted heavily on the entire Northern Rivers racing fraternity. No, definitely. It was a horrible day for racing um, because Dan was one of the most lovable kids. Like he, he, that is all he ever wanted to be. Um, he was a big, tall kid, and um, you know, so weight sort of played a big, big problem in his in his life as a, as a jockey. But he always, if you pulled his records and everything else, and had a look what rides he had and his consistency and everything else. But he was a great kid. I said, never caused you one ounce of trouble. Um, and he was as honest as a day is long, but, um, unfortunately we didn't see how good Dan really was, but, uh, mm. as I said, he, he, he only ever wanted to be one thing and that was a jockey and he did everything in his powers to make sure he kept his weight under control and mm. to see how, how much time and effort did he, he did into doing that, mm. um, was, you know, a credit to his, to him. Um, you know, and he's very sadly missed and to this day still is very missed, much missed. And the um, horse he was riding on the day, Brett Hotshot Hale, had been a very good performer for your stable too. Yes, I you know, have you know, fond memories and sad memories with Hotshot Hale. Mm. Um, so, but, uh, and Dan has said, like, I'm trying to win since they've named the Daniel Baker, I think he, I don't know, I sort of, I can't even get near him in the Daniel Baker handicap at Coffs Arbor, but one day it'll happen. I'll, I'll find the right horse to, to win the Daniel Baker handicap. <laughs> I've been close, but uh, not close enough, but uh, I will win it one day. And now to your daughter, Courtney, who rode her third winner from just over 30 rides when she won on Northern Wild Rose at Port Macquarie as recently as last Friday. Now, she's apprenticed to her dad, who is understandably very proud of her progress and is tipping a bright future. Now, just going back a little bit, how did you and Julie react when Courtney announced her desire to become a jockey? Um, well, she'd spent a lot of time at Pony Club and you'd see her and all she ever wanted to do was go fast. Mm-hmm. And um, she had a little horse called Pretzel, and he was a, a Welsh mountain pony that I'd got through Don Nancaro. Mm-hmm. And um, but that's all she wanted to do, go fast and go fast. And so I thought, oh, here we go. Mm-hmm. And when the time come and uh, she said, I want to I want to be a jockey. And I said, well, yes. She said, I'm, I'm not, not much good at school and this, that and the other. And I said, well, fine. No worries. Well, we'll just see where it takes us. And <clears throat> so she started riding a bit of track work before she went to school, and um, that continued for the twelve months that she was at school. And mm-hmm. then she said, "Dad, well, I want to, you know, I want to give up school and I want to keep this job as an apprentice." And I said, "Well, yep, fine." Spoke to her mother, and mum was sort of a little bit apprehensive. Mm-hmm. I said, "Well, you know, she enjoys it. What, you know, I don't think we should stand in her way." And so. We agreed, and so she she's become the apprentice, and she's done a really good job. Uh, she's been honest and hardworking. She gets up very early every morning and goes to the track and mm. Sundays and 
all of the above. So she deserves everything she gets. And she's just starting down to get a few rides out of, you know, <clears throat> other stables. Like, she, obviously, she's had my rides. But, you know, mm. trainers like Rossi Stitt and mm. Mark Quinn and mm. um, a few of the other boys have, have started to put her on. So um, that's good. And obviously, you know, a claim is always a big, big advantage in our game. I think it gives you a bit of head start as long as the apprentice can ride a bit. Um, you get a bit of a head start all the time. I watched her win on Northern Wild Rose at Port Macquarie. She led, but she didn't go berserk in front. She rated the mare nicely and looked well balanced to me. Brett, coming up the straight, uh, she sat up nicely. Yeah, no, I think you know, I've got to pay probably tribute to um, the fellas that she rides work with. Uh, Raymond Spokes, who's who's taken her under under his wing and sort of mm-hmm. trying to in, in part, you know, his knowledge and um, he's a very good horse, little horseman mm. and he's been a part of my stable for a lot of years. So, um, mm. you know, it's good to have him him there in her corner as well because I think it, it gives her a, a great perspective on the racing game. I know Raymond Spokes rides most of your horses and you tell me his work ethic is outstanding. You say if he doesn't turn up for track work, there's a good chance he's been kidnapped through the night. <laughs> he's yeah. a rain, hail or shine jockey. No, definitely. He's always been that way. I think uh, Ray's only got where he's got through a lot of hard work. And as I said, in the entire time he's been riding for me, I think he's missed two mornings. <clears throat> and, um, mm-hmm. and that's the entire time. One, he said, you know, two, two, well, both were too much alcohol, but uh, uh, over about, um, 15 years, I reckon I can mm. afford him two days, two days because I said, like, he's got to have died or, as, it, as you said, kidnapped because <laughs> he is there, rain, hail, shine, sick, dying or otherwise. Yeah. Um, he's there every morning. You can set your clock on him. He's a native of the district too, isn't he? Uh, he's a barrel boy. He's ah. just like, um, yes, he's a local barrel boy, barrel boy. So um, he's born and bred in the local area. So, um, yes, that's where he's from, a little town called Barrowville. Where they have a race meeting occasionally? Yes, they they used to race a lot more there, but um, they only have the, the few race meetings a year now mm. um, down there down there at um, Barrowville. But it's a it's a horses for courses. It's just a little course that's uphill, down dale and round corners. So mm-hmm. um, you, you don't want to be taking any big striding fellas down there and it, it is an advantage to be able to get out and get running. And your boy Declan is 16, he's still at school, he's very bright, but hasn't got the slightest interest in racing. What do you think None. he'll be doing a few years down the track? Um, I think probably some form of, of trade, probably a bu- the building industry, that's where he, he's wanting to head. But mm. if he doesn't head that way, he's pretty handy with around a motorbike and a motor and whatnot mm. as well. So uh, he can, he's pretty versatile. He's got outboard motors and whippersnippers and things going, so... Uh, <laughs> It wouldn't surprise me what he does. Uh, yeah. but the only great part of the racing game he likes is he bags up the manure from the stables and sells it out the front of Mum's place for $2 <laughs> a bag. So um, he's a real entrepreneur, I suppose yeah. you would call him. He, yeah. he makes a dollar that way to sort of that he, um, substitute his wages, I suppose, or that's mm. where he earns his dollars and straight to Sydney Tools to buy buy tools from Sydney Tools. So yeah. uh, he doesn't waste it. Sells manure, eh? Well, there's one thing that will give him great comfort 
you'll never run out of stock. No, no, definitely. <laughs> he said it's a very, very cheap, cheap product to buddy make. He said, yeah. overheads are low. <laughs> overheads are very low, so it's all profit. Now, Brett, you've had some memorable days at the races. On two occasions, you've won four on the one program. That's not an easy thing to do because you need everything to go right from barrier to box. Definitely, definitely. Um, you know, as I said, and you've got to have the horses in the stable. And as we said earlier, like you need everything to go go your way on the day. Um, like you've, you know, we've been to the races and expected to win, uh, and things haven't quite gone your way. So, um, you know, when they do go your way, you know, you've got to be very, very happy. Um, and as I said, like the days that things haven't quite gone your way, and you go home and um, you know, I haven't got a cat or a dog to kick, so poor old Julia <laughs> bears the brunt of brunt of the frustrations. But uh, <laughs> no, it's always good, and it's a tribute to the staff and jockeys and uh, and clients because it's you know, as we know, it's a it's a team effort, and without the team working together, um, you don't go anywhere. Brett, um, you've got no idea how many career winners you've trained. Uh, but I mentioned earlier, between 1999 and the end of uh, the most recent season, the current season, you'd won 736 and a half races in New South Wales. You'd been training for 13 years before that, and there've been a number of winners in Queensland. You've got to be somewhere between 900 and 1,000, which is a very tidy effort. Yes, no, it's, it'd be somewhere there. I said it'd have been... You know, very happy, happy with the game, and um, you know, I said all about the the clients and the people that I've met over over the years, and the support that I've gained through everybody, uh, family, friends, and um, it's 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 been you know a good ride, and you know we've I've met some you know funny people, some you know people from all walks of life, which I suppose that's the thing that. Um, sticks in my mind all the time the people that you meet in this game uh, you can meet every everyone from prime ministers to you know gardeners to whatever you know plumbers electricians and i think that's that's the big big thing it's a, everyone goes to the races to enjoy themselves and have a good day and you know forget about life or whatever they might be going through at the time so mm. i think that's that's one of the biggest things in the racing game for me is the people that you met, you've met along the way and the stories that they've come up with and um you know the betting plonks that the, you know how i how i've buddy produced this horse to to win at 20 to 1 or <laughs> you know all those sort of things and i think that they they're buddy you know really good i don't know how the internet reception is at the pearly gates but I sincerely hope your dad can tune into this podcast. He'd be tickled pink to have a listen to his boy all these years on. Yeah, no, I think he would. Uh, um, I said, and I've had a, a lot of stories off him over the years, and I still get stories back from Kevy said this or Kevy did that. And, <laughs> uh, so uh, it, it's it's really nice to sort of you know know that he was you know well regarded around the, around the traps and. Um, and I think they'd be, you know, all the fellas, a lot of fellas that we've names we've mentioned and whatnot, they'd be having a hell of a hell of a time up there hatching mm. plans and things that they've come up with over over the years and whatnot. So mm. they'd be all up there. You know, Tommy would be up there, sort of. They'd be they'd be hatching plans together now. And you can imagine <laughs> the chaos they'd be causing. Mm. Your dad'll never be gone 
while you're around, Brett Bellamy, because he has stamped you beyond doubt. No, uh, I've been told that plenty of times over the years <laughs> I too. I bet you have. Mate, lovely to have you on the podcast on a Sunday morning. Thanks for joining us. Congratulations on all you've done and I hope it's just beginning. Not a problem at all, John. Thank Brett you very much. Bellamy, top trainer from Coffs Harbour in northern New South Wales on a podcast produced by Supernova Sound. It came as no surprise when English Managing Director Mark Webster announced that South Australian GTRA would fill the company's slot in the Everest at Randwick on October the 16th. GTRA ran in the English slot last year, coming from well back to finish a strong third to classic legend. The horse stayed in Sydney and two weeks later won the $1 million Yes, Yes, Yes stakes at Rosehill Gardens. Not long after, he presented with a knee problem which required surgery for the removal of a bone chip and then a long spell. On resuming, GTRA ran third in the Group 1 Goodwood Handicap and was then taken to Brisbane where he was unplaced in the Kingsford Smith Cup, only 2.8 lengths from the winner after a wide run and a pretty hefty check in the straight. Fittingly, he was purchased by trainer Gordon Richards at the 2017 English Premier Sale for just $41,000. He's taken his large ownership syndicate on a fantastic journey with 10 wins and 12 placings for more than $3.2 million. Inglis and GTRA get together for the second time in the world's richest race on turf, the fifth running of the Tab Everest at Royal Randwick on October the 16th.